0: Okay, so <laughs> we are back. I don't know if you got the first part of that, but uh, I'm Pastor Monty, and I was just saying, good to be with you. Thanks for hanging in there with us. We're having a little bit of technical difficulty this morning, but we are ready to proceed. So, welcome. We have been we have been uh, looking at the Book of First Thessalonians, and we are just uh, probably going to be finishing that up today, if not almost today and uh, then also talking about, a little bit later, um, what Scripture says about uh, relationships. So let's begin with The Christ Factor.
1: I think it's really funny, because I'm pretty sure
0: I heard a little bit of what's up with that in there. That's true. I thought I heard that, too. Um, But uh, we're glad that we're in the. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that we're in the Christ Factor. So um, we're, at the, we're at the part in 1 Thessalonians where the Apostle Paul is giving admonitions. And so most of what we're going to be going uh, through this morning briefly are admonitions that are present inside of the Scripture as he encourages the church at Thessalonica on how it is that they are to interact with one another. So let, let me just read it for you. Um, so starting in verse 12. And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor amongst you and are uh, over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them uh, very highly in love for the work's sake. Uh, be at peace amongst yourselves. Where can we
1: find this passage
0: again? 1 uh, Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12. Thank you. Yep, and then uh, going on in verse 14. Uh, now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, and be patient with all. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good, both in yourselves and for all. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And we're going to leave it there and leave the last several verses for next week. So let's go back and let's take a look at this for a moment and just uh, put it within its uh, appropriate context. So the Apostle Paul is ending up his uh, letter of encouragement to the Thessalonians, uh, but he's speaking specifically. Now remember, these are are letters that are being written to a, a particular body. So when you see things in here that are um, written as encouragements, of course, we can, we can grow from that and we can learn from that um, uh, as a church. But this means that he was addressing specific issues in that particular local body. Right. So here, you know, where he says that we urge you to recognize those who labor amongst you and uh, are over you in the Lord and admonish you to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Um, He's really talking about the fact that that it is not uncommon inside of uh, local bodies uh, for those that are in the position of authority, those who are elders uh, in the church who administer the word of God who give guidance to the direction of the church? Who try to uh, uh, strengthen the body and encourage the body? It is not uncommon for those individuals uh, to be uh, taken for granted, uh, particularly <laughs> particularly in our own age, uh, because there are many uh, there are many who take the attitude that uh, uh, I pay your salary, so you sh- you should. You should be grateful that uh, you even get anything. Um, and the Apostle Paul is saying, whoa, 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 whoa slow down. No, no, no. You need, to, you need to encourage these people. You need to hold them in high esteem. Uh, you want to comment on this, Josh?
1: Well, I think part of the difficulty is the... So there's always been a pendulum swing Where you and especially in Jesus day where you had these people who were shepherds of the flock and they were keepers of the law and they um, were essentially accepting more than they should. So I think that that leads people to feel that that leads people to feel embittered, you know.
0: So you mean they were they were kind of like uh, some of the TV preachers we see today. Sure. that fly around in Learjets.
1: Yeah, I mean I don't know if it's t- yes, it is TV preachers, but then it's also, you know, mega church pastors. And again, th- that doesn't mean that every mega church pastor is like this, but um but certainly it's a trope for a reason. Right. And so I think that you do have you have this uh spectrum of people and even in Jesus Day that was the case. And that was one of the things that Jesus rallied against. Was the Pharisaical nature of leadership? You know, um, well, quite literally, they were Pharisees and Sadducees. But in any case, you have these leaders who are overwhelming their um, their people by not being good leaders. You know, they they are taking way too much, way more than they should, and um, so that creates a class system within within the body whether it was, you know, the, the Jewish body or whether it was the church to come from that. And then within that class system, there is an embitterment that is built, you know, not to get into uh, critical theory, but there's this idea of oppressed and oppressor that I think is, that doesn't belong in the church, but is empowered by the idea that leaders, by the very nature of their leadership, um, should then be entitled to to something and so then when they don't produce so basically it creates this transactional relationship between leaders and their their flock right and when they don't produce then that creates embitterment and so it it, it's a very dynamic difficult situation and I think just as much as you have people who don't understand what their leaders are supposed to be and don't treat them appropriately and correctly which is a huge problem within the church. Um, pastors who are both um, undervalued and under-equipped, and over-expected to, you know, do things. Um, basically, to govern. Then you have uh, the other direction where you've got these leaders who are, you know, creating cults of personality.
0: Right, right. And Jesus tried to address this initially when he told the disciples uh, at the. Um you know that that they were to be that they were to be servants to one another, right. and he tried to address the whole issue that um, that uh, the interaction that takes place within the body of Christ is to be one of servanthood each to one another, even though those that rise up to a position of uh, authority within the body, they're not to lord it over people, but they're to act in such a way that the body uh, can be strengthened. right. And th- the difficulty, of course, that you run into is you run into um, human nature. Yes. And you run into the issue of uh, sin, and uh, it, it so easily creeps in. What the, One of the, the, the issues that we see happening even today uh, it being magnified in our culture is that the, when, when humans uh, get hold, when certain individuals get hold of power, it's very difficult um, sometimes that they have difficulty uh, in how it is that they respond to that power. And certainly, as Josh has indicated, within, within the, uh, the local body, even though you're not talking, you know, an extended thing like a mayor or a governor or, or a president, um, you're, you know, you're still dealing with a structure that is present that uh, that danger is there.
1: Yeah. And, and it was exploited in Jesus day as well. And so I think Jesus is really clear. Like, you know, you need to be the servant if you want to be the leader. Right. That is not to say then that because you have a servant's mentality and you lead by, um, you lead by the example of servanthood, that is not to say then that that position doesn't, um, doesn't elicit respect and doesn't elicit even privilege. Um, Which it it does, and it's not because those people are more valued. It's because the weight that they carry is different and oftentimes larger. Um, And they're the ones—the scripture is also very clear that when the master returns, they are the ones who will face the consequences for how they led, Um, which is why it says, you know, things like it is— Like, you need to be careful
0: if you want to be a teacher. Right, not many shall be teachers. James talks about that. Yeah. Yeah, and the Apostle Paul, in his writings, in several letters, uh, addresses this a little bit and extends the... So uh, he he addresses it from the standpoint that he says, you know, as a a leader in the church, I have the right Mm -hmm. to claim this, but for your sake, I don't claim that right. Mm-hmm. But he says, "I have the right," and and at times he does claim that right. And when he he's does. talking
1: to certain churches, he want it just depends on who he's talking to and what is the need for the moment. Right. But the
0: admonition which is being presented here in Scripture is that you are to uh, understand uh, your leaders and to lift them up. And if uh, we're not talking about you know. Um, uh, heap on all types of platitudes and that's not what's being talked about here what's being talked about here is that uh first of all you know you have responsibility to pray for your leaders and and it would help if you would have some understanding towards towards what it takes to be able to um to minister to the body so i (laughs) i heard when i was in my my 20 plus years of pastoring i've heard many things Uh, One of the things that I used to hear was, um, well, um, you know, you don't do very much. All you do is preach. Uh (laughs) Well, you know, what is not recognized in that, um, you know, now that I'm old, I can probably get up and preach extemporaneously because I've had uh, so much practice at it and, and I'm familiar with the word. But in order to preach effectively for, for the body of Christ, in order to feed the flock, um, literally in order to develop a, a message, um, I found that it normally took me between 20 and 30 hours of study and putting it together and preparing so that I'm able to uh, be an effective, uh, an effective teacher. Um, and that's, not, that's all behind the scenes, so nobody sees you doing that. Mm-hmm. But you have to and, and for me, it was uh, I was doing that three and four weeks out. Yeah. So when I was when I was preparing for a message, I was already working on that three three and four weeks ago to be able to deliver it today. And so you know, you need to uh, pray for your leaders because that's 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 a lot of work. It's a lot of work to to be uh, you know, to be able to take the word and to make it applicable to lives today um so this is just saying hey you know um be considerate of your leaders lift them up
1: you're you're not in the mic um Uh, lift
0: lift them up admonish them um
1: yeah and, and it goes beyond teaching too like that's that's the thing that people don't understand the elders and the deacons were required to be able to teach but the but the truth is, is that management is a huge aspect of leadership. It's a 24-7 job, and you look at—the um, leaders of the church are considered under-shepherds. That's the way the Scripture talks about them. Um, Even—yeah, yeah, yeah they're, they're considered under-shepherds. So they serve under Christ, um, and their job is to shepherd. And the shepherd, like, lays down his life for his sheep, and the shepherd sleeps under— a, among the sheep and the shepherd you know feeds the sheep and shears the sheep and does all of these things protects the sheep it is a 24-7 job and quite frankly it's a lonely job and a thankless job um, which is one of the reasons why Paul is making this you know exact. making yeah. this comment
0: exactly and you know when a, when when somebody of course we have a different approach to it with the uh, with the eldership inside of Alathea but but generally, spe- let me just say this: that those that go to, to for a formal education to be involved in the ministries, or those that go to a seminary, you know, they get they get no um, business training whatsoever. What they get is theological training. I don't know if that's. I don't know it if that's true.
1: It is true. N- I don't know if that's true anymore. It's but but what they're they're they under equipped.
0: Okay, in, in all fairness, I haven't looked at a. Uh, I haven't looked at a deal recently.
1: A training course or whatever. Yeah. There, but what they are is under equipped. And what I'd say is, I don't know if that's true. I'm referring to their the- theological training. I, first of all, my experience with it is that they don't get theological training. They get only business training.
0: No, no, just the opposite. They get, you know, they get their training in their Bible courses and in Greek and Hebrew uh, and uh, Greek and and um. No, that's that's basic. That's part of their that's part of their MDiv program. My point is, what is not inside of their MDiv program is is uh, business administration type issues. R- when you're when you're um, thrust into leadership inside of a local church, you're basically the head of a corporation. Sure. And you have to. Uh, the law considers the church. You're the president a of corporation. the corporation. Yeah. And there are rules that have to be followed.
1: So we're talking about the legal status, like how the law looks at you. You have to, when you become a church, to get your 501c3 nonprofit. You have to file as a business, and the business makes the pastor generally the president of the corporation, and your yeah, the state of all these of, the state legal of things Oregon.
0: The state of Oregon sees you as a corporation, and then uh, that is certified by the Internal Revenue. Josh is referring to. Code Section five hundred one C three. My point is, is that um, you know when you're when you're running a business, those of you who are are into that, when you're running a business, you have to take care of uh, all of the personnel issues. You have to take care of a bi- accounting. You have yeah. to take, make sure all the rules are. There are a multitude of rules, and all of those things falls upon the pastor, and and. Uh, it, it, in many cases, it's like being thrown to the wolves. Well, you're you're essentially
1: operating as an owner rather than a consumer or uh, or a worker. Yeah. Right. Because you're the under shepherd of right. the church, so you are acting as the shepherd in absence of the you know in absence of of Christ, waiting for his return. Um, but what I will say is that that dichotomy, I think, is the the dichotomy of people not understanding the uh issue but still wanting to consume, right? right? Um the the sheep, the people in the church, they still want to consume, but they don't understand how much work goes into it. I think that a lot of that has to do with the church and and specifically a pastoral uh, diaconate model um which by the way isn't really biblical. Um but it has to do what I mean by that is a single pastor and deacons right um that has to do with the church setting up that dichotomy if churches were to not create a distinction um between essentially the trained and the untrained or the church worker and the the people um the term that's used constantly and i i find it to be somewhat pejorative is lay Right, lay people, right, lay people, or even lay ministers, to right. so that everybody gets their just due with their certification. Hey, I went to seminary, and so you are a lay minister if you haven't. Um, that is not biblical. There's absolutely no distinction there. Uh, that's not a biblical distinction, and and I think the the scripture is very clear that it is a group effort to run the church. Yeah, and as people mature they they take more of an effort in running the, the church. You know, they disciple. Like, you look at the Great Commission, the Universal Great Commission is not, you know, go out and make seminary students. Right. And so I think that uh, when people mistreat pastors, it has to do with—it's it's a multifaceted issue. And one of the things is that a lot of pastors are mistreated in a church— where the system is set up to mistreat pastors because they are viewed as the only people who can actually do anything competently toward uh, church service. It, it's a relegated um, niche idea that, that ministry can happen.
0: Right, so if the church service isn't going well, if, uh, if people are not learning, if the pastor um, has a particular methodology that all he is is feeding milk, Mm-hmm. to the congregation and there's no meat so the congregation is growing there's all these different things that have to be considered so i, I guess to close this this uh, this section mm-hmm. we didn't get very far I know. I, uh, um in order to close the section let me just say that, that one of the things that the uh that, that the body could the local body can do uh for those people that are in leadership is uh, that uh, you need to pray for them you need to pray for wisdom. You need to pray for strength, uh, and 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 be before you criticize. Uh, be careful and understand the uh, enormity of the job that these workers have.
1: Yeah, be part of the solution. You yeah. know, it's not there is no distinction of church worker and not church worker. There's just all of us are an organism in the are parts of the organism of the body of Christ. And it shouldn't be distinctions like that. You know, if you if you're in a church that doesn't seem to work and the pastor is having a hard time making it work, have you considered that maybe you're spending more time on why it doesn't work than helping the pastor? And that's
0: why it doesn't work. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of kind of circular in a way. Yeah. All right. We're going to close this section. Uh, and uh, pick up again next week where we talk, where we're going to talk more about uh, these uh, further admonitions that are given uh, in uh, First Thessalonians as he closes out this letter. There's just so much meat here uh, to uh, to deal with. Let's uh, let's go into our next section and let's talk a little bit about uh, relationships. So we're. <laughs> Oh, this is a new cart. Well yeah, we're so we're talking about overall um relationship from a biblical perspective. And this is a
1: wait, wait, wait. was that the lead in
0: producer Jasmine? Okay. Yeah, okay. Let's go with the right. other one. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so so uh this is a a huge topic. Uh we talked about it last week in our introduction. It's a a huge topic because of the fact that, that um, God created us in, in, rega- in his image. And because yep. we are created in his image, we then reflect who he is and how it is that we live. And relationship uh, is involved in everything that we do. And so this morning we want to talk about exploring a little bit uh, that issue that, um, that we were created uh, by a God who is in relationship and self. And the first place that we see that, of course, is in Genesis. In Genesis, in the creation story, you know, God makes a statement, let, let us make man in our own image. And we normally pass over that. We normally go, oh, yeah, God said, let us make man. Um, but but let's dwell there for a second, because you can write a you can write a whole book, as it were. In fact, I read a whole book on this, so I know that you could write one um, <laughs> on on uh, understanding what it means to be created in the image of God, uh, not just the the uh, the ability for us to dialogue, the ability for us to consciously uh, address uh, situations the ability for us to create you know the the creative nature of man is a god-given attribute you know and 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 so when when we see in scripture where it says let us make man in our image part of that is that god Uh, as we see him uh, show himself in Scripture in many different places, uh, there is an indication there that there is a relationship that exists between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I I can think of uh, in in the New Testament in particular, there's a couple of places in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament in particular, there are ten different passages where you see the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in cooperation with one another in one form or another. Mm-hmm. If you take the baptism of Christ, for example, sure. where you have the Father present, the Son present being baptized, and the Holy Spirit descending like a dove, um, you have uh, during the Transfiguration, mm-hmm. you have again the three together. Jesus indicates, you know, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Um, there are so there are these various places in Scripture where we can go and we can see that any time that God presents himself, he presents himself in the form of relationship, that there is a relationship that is taking place between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Even in the book of John, when Jesus talks about the fact, he's trying to explain to the disciples that he has to go. And the reason he has to go is because he's going to send the Holy Spirit. And so uh, and so he's praying to the father. He's explaining to the disciples that he the son has to go so that the Holy Spirit might come. So there's this interaction that is taking place. It's really quite dynamic. You want to add anything to that? Well, just that accompanying those verses,
1: um, if you look at verse 27 of Genesis one, so 26 is where he says, let us make man in our own image. Um, in verse 27, he says, um, in the image of God, he created them male and female, he created them. And so I think, you know, it it would be tempting to say that what we're dealing with is a purely philosophical construct here where you're just looking at the creative nature of man, um, or that you're looking at like the sentient nature of man or something like that. And it would be tempting then to possibly take the relational aspect of it out of it. But what's interesting is even on a physical level, God creates men and women. So that's also interesting. It's like a second creation narrative in Genesis. But He creates man and women in His image, so that you are set up with at least two parties that have to communicate with each other, um, that share that share the same essence humanity essentially they share the same essence but they are distinct from each other um and that distinction is a real distinction not a contrived distinction that happens when you choose it
0: yeah no and 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 i I was i was gonna throw in there kiddingly but but uh difficult that it is Mm -hmm. um, the because what enters into it is the issue of sin yeah and and so because of the fall that, that uh, relationship that was supposed to be there and supposed to be a prime relationship between husband and wife um, and God um, definitely has now uh, become difficult. Um, you know, again, we see, for example, and, and I mentioned that the relationship with uh, that God is there because when God confronts Adam and Eve, and we see that in, in, uh, in the garden, after the uh, fruit has been eaten, and they became aware of their of themselves. They became aware of their nakedness. Uh, you know, God. It says in Scripture that uh, he, as he strolled in the evening. So what is indicated in this passage is that is that it was common for God to interact and stroll with His uh, creation and have a an interactive relationship with them. And God is commenting in this passage that that's, uh, first of all, he's commenting in the passage that, that that's a normal thing that they were doing this, but then the passage begins to address the fact that now that relationship that once was is no more. It's been tainted.
1: Uh, Yeah, that there's been a separation that happened. And you can see the through sin, right? And you can see the separation that happened immediately when man, on the one hand, hides from God when God decides that he's going to stroll, right, as he does. And then so he hides from God in the process of it. And then two, so that's the first one. The second one is that he hides himself from his wife and vice versa because they all of a sudden realize that they are naked.
0: And different. Uh,
1: Yes. And what's interesting about that is that it's not like they became naked when they sinned, but all of a sudden it became their distinction made them, it created a divide between them. Right. And so that's, I mean, that's, there's something really powerful in that. And it is basically the problem, uh, the problems that we deal with, for instance, as biblical counselors, right? The problem is all stemming from the breakdown in communication between God and between man that happened in the garden of Eden. What's really interesting about that is this idea of God walking among us and the fact that Jesus, um, he, he shall be called Emmanuel, right? Which means God, right. is, with God is with us. Right. So there's the, and, and you know, when, when Christ sends the counselor, for instance, and he says, "Remember, I am with you always, even to the end of the of the age." And he sends the Counselor to assure them of the fact that they are not alone; that God is with them. Right. So there's this uh, corrective lens that God places over the the Eden account to sort of realign the perception that has um, broken down
0: in right, Eden. right. And this this is a. Uh Interestingly, this is an aspect, you know, when you go into book of the Romans, the Apostle Paul talks about the fact he, he identifies Christ as the second Adam. Right. And we normally see that and understand that within the, uh, within the fashion of the fact that, you know, uh, there was uh, a, um, an issue of, of our relationship with God being broken uh, when Adam sinned. And that we are now the progeny affected by that sin. And so we are separated from God initially because of that sin. And Jesus Christ came to correct that. And Josh touches on a, a, uh, a critical point in our discussion because he not only, well, he came to correct the relationship. But in particular, he came to reestablish the correct relationship. Yeah. Not just that the relationship, so you can have you can have a relationship with somebody and the relationship still be broken. Yep. And Jesus came as the second Adam, that 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 relationship might be corrected to what it should be.
1: Well, you can even go beyond that, right? And you can talk about um, a, a lot of people will say that you know God came to reestablish, right? that he came to reestablish what was going on in Eden. But truthfully, there's a little bit more to that. Oh, yeah. Because God didn't just come to reestablish. If everything had been as it was in Eden, then we would not be um, partakers in the uh, inheritance of God. Right. But we come into adoption by his grace, um, probably, I mean, I'm going to do my best here to not be sloppy with guessing the mind of God, but... (laughs) Probably because um, we need that level of confidence and assurance of the relationship yeah. because we were partakers of his grace before that. But now we are inheritors of his authority. For instance, we were made lower than the angels. Right. But one day through sanctification and his grace, we will be governing the angels. And so what we have is actually something that's way more powerful than how we were created in Eden we actually are getting a step up. We're getting even more. Relationship will be more complex, more dynamic, more rewarding. We're, our relationship with everything. So that includes each other and God and the things that God created, nature and so on and so forth.
0: Right. So one of the things that is helpful for us and as we begin to look at this issue of relationship is to understand, first of all, that there is a... Uh, in the relationship that exists uh, as we see it from scripture in various points. And you can't, you can't go to a particular scripture and see this outlined. What you have to do is you have to look at how God represents himself in various places, both in the Old and New Testament, uh, to understand his character. And one of the things that we see as, as this interaction takes place is that um, it is a dynamic relationship that exists between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You don't think there's a particular scripture that does a good job of outlining it? I have not been able to find one that is succinct. In uh, hit,
1: can you hit the point specifically that you're that you're thinking of? Let me see if I can find one that it would need to outline.
0: Well, it would need to outline first that there's a separation. So there's mm-hmm. the Father, there's the Son, there's the Holy Spirit. So it's alluded to in various places. For it's alluded, we see. It oh, you're places. talking
1: about that? There's a separation from uh, from our trinitarian nature. Is that what you mean?
0: Yeah. Well, we we don't see it distinct. I mean, if you go back into the cultures uh, that uh, that that surrounded the Hebrews, it was not unusual for there to be a triad of gods, right? So that's why some some uh, I know. Are you talking? You're some critical y- scholars will assert that, that all we see in Hebrew scripture is an, an amalgamation of, of uh, what was already taking place in tribes around them, and that's not that's diff- It's different when we actually read scripture because we don't have a triad of God in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We have one interacting as a unit together.
1: Right. OK, so to be clear, you're not talking about man. You're talking about God. I'm talking about God. here. You're saying that there's no scripture that says this is the Trinity. Yes. OK, that's what I didn't understand. You're yeah, saying. I, OK,
0: no, thanks. Thanks. Thanks for the clarification.
1: It is somewhat a
0: complex
1: because I thought you were talking about man and his separation from God. No, no, I'm no, like, no. Wait no. a second. It's definitely there.
0: No, it's no. No, that's there. <laughs> it is a complex discussion. To try to uh, begin to understand the how Scripture presents God, because again, for example, in the passage we are looking at in Genesis, uh, it says us. So let us let us make man. Um, in you know, I've
1: heard I've heard that that isn't actually a great passage to use. I've heard uh, if you there, so there's a scholar his name is Michael Heiser, and he is one of the foremost scholars he's like responsible for the bible um for the logos software for okay yeah yeah i'm um, impressed (laughs) i'm just saying there's reason to listen to him anyway uh and he has some really interesting like foundational things on the um on uh the spiritual realm right but i mean he and he's he's trinitarian in nature but um and and everything like he's doctrinally solid, uh, but he says that that passage in particular isn't a good passage to okay. use to yeah, outline I like the Trinity. It. He's talking about he, sa- he he thinks that that passage is a response to the uh, Elohim like plural, like the plurality of um, what we call the council of uh, the divine council is what it's called.
0: Right. Now you're getting into rather high theology. Sure. And and I'm not I'm not sure that that benefits our audience. I mean, you and I may find like it, but but I'm not sure it benefits our audience. what uh, wh- if you look at the the name Jehovah when it's first presented, um, you know, you know, you know what the uh, you know what is uh, Jehovah uh, describes in the original language. Have you have you, you have you heard this? That I am uh, who I am. No 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 not the no. The the actual sentiment for the word Jehovah as found, uh, I think it's in Joshua, uh, is a cluster of grapes. Oh, interesting. And when Joshua brings back. I think I've heard that. (laughs) Yeah, when Joshua brings back uh, from the uh, the land, which is going to be given uh, to the Hebrew people from the land of Canaan, he brings back a cluster of grapes. And the same word that is used to describe this cluster of grapes also is used to describe God Hmm. and the point being that uh, you know the grapes are made up of individual little grapes but it is a cluster it is considered uh, one sure and and so you know now we're again we're getting into a discussion of high theology and Trinitarian right because
1: that would be if we were to describe it that way then that that would be considered a heresy Right, God is broken, and it's—never n- mind. Is my my mic okay? I feel like my uh, volume got well, I, possibly I can, turned down or something. Well, I can
0: hear you. So th- the point is that in Scripture what we see is that uh, our understanding of knowing who God is, so this whole point in regard to relationship—let me just bring it back around. The whole point of the issue of relationship is we're not in relationship because of something we like. Well, I, I mean, we're we— it is something that we well, it can't we can't find it pleasurable. We we can also find it very annoying. We gravitate toward relationship we do. <laughs> because
1: it is something that we like. And the reason why we like it is because it is wired into us because we're created in the image. Of God. Well,
0: that's one way of putting it. That, that wasn't my point. We might be wired for it. But the but the reason we're wired for it. See, I don't know that all, I find all relationships pleasurable personally. Well, I mean, you have relationships with more That's than that. That's why I'm people. loving the social distancing thing. Okay. Um but but that that being said, yes. That being said, my point is is that uh, as as mankind, we, you know, and we've had this discussion before. We did not come out of a pool of nothingness. Right. We did not evolve from an amoeba in order to be who we are. We are created uniquely by God, and he created man in his image. And I'm not saying that now, I'm not talking about the anthropomorphic idea that, you know, God is some uh, crazy amalgamation of uh, male and female. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the essence of who God is. He created us, uh, and as he is a God of relationship, so we are individuals of relationship yeah
1: i agree i i I, not to nitpick but it would be more accurate scripturally to say that we came out of a pool of nothingness because in sure i just i like if people are because i don't want critics to be like that's because the scripture has the ex nihilo creation that we came out of nothing of course, there was something after nothing in between us. You know, dust. We came from the dust, but uh, yeah, we what we are not is just simply a summary of parts.
0: Do you see my eyes going around? Do you see my my head? <laughs> I just
1: i what I see <laughs> what I see is other people listening to it and being like, "That's not what we believe."
0: Yeah, that is what we
1: believe. No, I mean that. No, I could. I, I could see, like, an atheist, for instance, oh, yeah. criticizing well, okay. and being like, that's not what we believe. That's yes. dumb. And I want to be clear, like, no. It might be a little bit sloppy, but... Well,
0: I would be fascinated if an atheist were watching our program.
1: You know... Hey there. <laughs> we've had many people criticize before. and But the, the point should be made is that there's nothing found in creation that necessitates relationship. There are theories as to why people get into relationship without God, you know, everything from, um, trying to sustain themselves by procreating to, you know, um, social contract theory. There's theories about that, but, but the, but the parts on the table, um, given time plus chance. So you've got the matter plus time plus chance. There's no need for them to be in relationship. There's no need for them to gravitate toward each other. And I would also say that you're pretty much borrowing from the idea of value um, if you want to say that you know somebody wants to s- to sustain himself, I then it then begs the question of where does their sense of self come from? Right. But um, yeah. So what Pastor Monty is alluding to or saying is relationship is uh is a transcendent concept. It comes from outside of the summary of our parts that we're in, and the question is why, and the answer is. Because the transcendent being that created us is relational.
0: That's exactly correct.
1: Which is what the scripture teaches. And quite honestly, something there's, uh, like, for instance, if you explore Kalam cosmology, for instance, um, you'll get into the philosophical idea that there's only, like, everything that begins has a cause, and there's only two types of causes. And one cause is essentially, um, like, physics, essentially. Uh, that, you know, uh, there's cause and effect in the world, you know. Um,
0: And there is cause and effect.
1: But if everything has a beginning that is, that exists, so if everything has a beginning that exists, then what caused that first thing to happen? Well, it has to be personal. Right. Because there's nothing physical to make that first thing happen. So there's only two types of causes. There is agency, where there's an intentful being That makes something happen or there is just the natural cause and effect of of physics and if there was no physics before the physical world but the physical world has a beginning then the only thing that could cause it is agency. An intentful being which means that that being if it's intentful is personal and if it's personal it has to be relational. Right. But there's a that's a whole thing.
0: That's a whole thing, and and uh, and it's sloppily put. I, I just I, well, say. I would just say that you know if you if you really want to have a discussion with a non-believer in understanding some of these issues, this is an, that's an excellent place to start because everybody has to address those three questions that are there. And where did I come from is one of the most important. And um, what we're indicating here and what we're saying here is that from a scriptural standpoint we understand who we are because of who created us yeah and i don't i don't think personally i don't th- in, in all my years of of uh, being involved in the church which is uh, many i don't believe i've ever really heard a lot of discussion about this
1: well i think that that's one of the reasons why we find ourselves in the um societal pickle that we're in right now is because our identity hasn't been very well predicated um based upon or built upon um god it has been mostly built upon the church right right and so if people so because of that it's ripe for people to say you know the church that's cool but it's not big enough Or the church is uncool because it's not big enough. Or I'm angry with the church because it's not big enough and says that it is. And so you have a lot of Christians who are looking for their identity elsewhere. You have tons of people who value the church, a a growing number, who value the church, um, but it is not more sacred. It's not it's not a holy institution. It's not more than, say, themselves. Right. Right? So they yeah. sit and they're looking for things. They're looking for things in their life to provide them the identity that the church should have pointed them to, which was as God made me. Instead, they're going so far as to say that God made, that essentially I get to make myself and that God celebrates my own conclusions, which is holy. Ironically, unbiblical.
0: Yeah, it drives me nuts. Um, and, and that's the reason why. So so because the church itself is confused on this issue, or let me say many in the church are confused upon the issue, that's the reason if you extrapolate that, that's the reason why the world is confused and having an identity crisis, even today as we speak So so much so because the church has been negligent in being able to provide guidance and stability in this area
1: yeah and if it did then people would be um, better
0: yeah absolutely i agree we're going to close this section pick up the discussion a little bit more next week now let's talk about what's up with that Well, I got a couple things here that I just find fascinating. Um, the first, uh, the first one is, you know, um, we've become a society of uh, of, of uh, over the top do-gooders, and it extends into all aspects of of, uh, of life. And uh, it always fascinates me when people uh, take it upon themselves that they want to rescue animals that don't need to be rescued. Okay. in 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 uh, in New Jersey. Okay. in uh, in the Monroe Township in New Jersey, uh, firefighters were called out because somebody had called in to the fire station and there was a duck that needed to be rescued from a frozen pond. Hmm. So the firefighters like
1: it was frozen into the pond.
0: Yeah, you know. Yeah, I guess so it couldn't hmm. it couldn't get its little feet to you know so um, so the firefighters went out there risked life and limb to get out to this animal out in the middle of the pond and come to find out it was a decoy
1: oh my gosh
0: now here's here's the thing ducks are god's creation see we come from the standpoint that that animalia God created animals and he created them to be pretty, pretty. When you watch animals, they're pretty interesting. They God give them the sense not to get into stupid things like humans do.
1: They're complex biological machines. Yeah. And and, uh, and they're capable of really complex algorithms.
0: So I have never heard of a duck allowing itself to get caught frozen frozen in the the water, or I would have to call that duck a Daffy Duck. Okay. (laughs) Oh, come on. That's good. Uh, I'm dating myself. Yeah,
1: nobody knows who Daffy is anymore. (laughs) However, if you're interested in learning who Daffy is, you can uh, check out HBO Max, which has all of the Looney Tunes back catalog. There you go. I've been taking my kids through it on Friday mornings.
0: You need to watch Looney Tunes. They're great.
1: They're also culturally insensitive, which is fun. Okay.
0: Well, you know, <laughs> speaking of speaking of culturally insensitive, you know, the world around us, particularly the, the big media groups, they like to be careful about uh, people not being sensitive culturally. And uh, they have a group of uh, individuals, men and women, that it is their full-time job to go through posts – and what have you to censor and to censor mm-hmm. uh, what they like or don't like right and uh, in england there was a township whose name was um, whose name was uh, plymouth in, it's in plymouth england and plymouth it's actually the township is called plymouth ho okay and the editors. Like one
1: word or two words? Like Plymouth H- Ho? Or o,
0: yeah, two words. Plymouth Ho. Plymouth the Ho. H O E. Interesting. And the editors at Facebook figured that people would be offended by the word ho. Right. Because in slang, it refers to. A prostitute. A prostitute.
1: Or a pros- possibly a really useful gardening tool.
0: And so they took it down. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, so Facebook took
1: down the township of Plymouth Hoes Facebook page. Yes. All right.
0: Yeah. And and were embarrassed to have to restore it when they found out that it had nothing to do with prostitutes that they proudly or celebrate their name. implements. <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> so what does it have to do with? Ho H O E is that like um like something in the distance?
0: I don't know. I'm just it's just the name of the township.
1: Like, like Plymouth, ho like Plymouth is off in the distance, sort of like a almost like a Eureka. (laughs) You know, like I discovered it
0: could be, you know, Josh, you think way more deeply than I do. Okay. All right. I'm just I just that that's definitely a what's up with that. I got one more for you. All right. Hey, guess what? Um, What did you guys did you guys watch the? uh, No. Anybody watch the NFL game? (laughs) No, of course not. Let me tell you. I've
1: seen one or two commercials. I'm really the, excited about uh, CBS becoming Paramount Plus.
0: The old man, <laughs> the old man, Tom Brady. Here's 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 how this conversation. I went. saw
1: the SNL skit where they made fun of him for being old. Well, they sort of they were poking fun at the fact. What were they saying? They were saying that Tom Brady. It was John Krasinski, so the guy who played Jim on The Office, and. SNL S&O was making fun of the fact that nothing in America works the way that it used to, yeah. except, for Tom, except Brady. for Tom Brady. And this was before the Super Bowl. <laughs> it was before the Super Bowl, and they were like, "He's going to go out and he's going to win another Super Bowl because Tom Brady works and nothing else in America does."
0: You know the the young man that he was playing against, yeah, um, was born in the year that he won his first Super Bowl. That's crazy. Uh, Yeah. So he's so uh, he pretty
1: much carried the game, right? That's what yeah, I heard. Yeah, and yeah. he like did like a career best or something.
0: Yeah, he, it was amazing. And so here's how the dis- here's how the discussion went. Uh, 2000, 2018, Tom Brady wins the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. 2019, his contract is up with the Patriots. Mm-hmm. Now, he says to the Patriots, he says, you know, I'm still viable. I can still make it happen. Management to the Patriot goes, I don't know, you're old. Yeah. I mean for football, you're old. I don't know if you can I don't know if you can bring it or not. Yeah. Tom says, Well, I'll tell you what then. You know, I've been loyal. You don't like the fact that I've been loyal. You're I'll go bring gonna, it somewhere else. I'm well he said, I'm just gonna make myself a free agent. Yeah. The Buccaneers picked him up. Yeah. And he brought that whole team the next year in
1: 2019
0: in 2000 well 2019 was when he became a free agent so they picked him up and uh for, for the price that he wanted and uh he brought that team back from nothing yeah to uh, to win the super bowl he not only he not only won the super he not only led his team to win but he spanked the the. the you the, heard it here first. The uh, Tom the, Brady
1: spanks the uh, the, the not, nation in, I don't in know.
0: football, thirty-one to nine. They got spanked.
1: Here's a what's up with that. Although I don't really know why that's a what's up with that. But well, here's I'm gonna get to the, the oh, football. I was going to say here's a what's up with that. What is the deal with football points? Oh, I don't know. Seriously, you get one point for this, seven points for that. Three points for that. That's a what's up with that (laughs) anyway. Okay,
0: so here's my point. And why is it
1: called football? The rest of the world calls football soccer. Wait a minute. No, it doesn't. It's reversed. uh, (laughs) We call (laughs) soccer. (laughs) There you go. We call soccer soccer, but everybody else calls it football. Like, why don't why did we decide to call it football? Seriously.
0: Here's the kicker. Tom Tom Brady's rookie card. Yeah. Just auctioned off for $555,988. Wow. His rookie card. Yeah. That's amazing.
1: Yeah, it's amazing that people still collect baseball cards. I mean football cards. Football
0: cards and baseball <laughs> cards, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I agree. <laughs> um, but I know, I know of a young man who has all kinds of uh, toys and various other things still in package. That tells me that that's his retirement investment.
1: I need to meet this young man <laughs> and set him straight.
0: <laughs> all right. Well, that's that's all we got for today. But I, I just want to say that you know, listen, there's a lot of haters out there in regard to Tom Brady. I are there? I don't, there I don't are, know. Oh, there are. There are a whole bunch of wait. People he's there. a they he, don't like not him to get political, but he's a Trump supporter, right? He's a Trump supporter. He's good looking. He's uh, healthy. He's got a beautiful wife, um, you know, and he's won seven Super Bowls.
1: Is that he's seven Super Bowls? Seven Super Bowls.
0: Okay. It is very, very, very impressive. Wait, I thought you
1: said the first time he won a Super Bowl was in 2018.
0: No, 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 no. 2001 was his first.
1: Uh, Okay. I was going to say there's not that many years between
0: now and 2018 (laughs) unless I I missed something. I know it's basic math.
1: You can tell that I do not. Followed. Add, add the two, football. carry the one.
0: <laughs>
1: I don't I don't follow football.
0: Hey, where's my drum thing there? That's oh, okay good. <laughs> All right. Okay. We're gonna close out our time today with that all right if you
1: are someone who is seeking answers or you want to know more about your faith if you're new to jesus christ or the bible we want to help you so check out the help tab at abfpdx.org and remember that we're always open to questions Mm -hmm. pastor monty likes answering questions he's ready and waiting to deliver some sage advice so don't be shy and don't forget guys we have like chat threads so if you want to you know chime in on the show please, please feel free to do so So, yeah, the Truth Time with Pastor Monty podcast is a resource of – wow, I'm really, like, uh, choking up on my words here. The Truth Time with Pastor Monty podcast is a resource of Alathea Bible Fellowship of Portland, Oregon, and a webcast on the Vigilance Radio Network, a resource developed by Project Vigilance, ABF's uh, team that works on web and other things to keep it going 24-7. If you want to be a part of the VRN and what we're doing here, you can join the Vigilance Radio Network's Facebook page to get access to all of our shows, including – uh, culture insanity which starts up this uh saturday, this saturday pastor o'clock. monty will be on there and uh pastor adam will be on there and i will not um so but there's lots of things going on in culture so check that out nine o'clock this saturday also our oh check it out we have uh, producer jasmine found a, a nag screen so <laughs> you got all the things happening on the nag screen um so there's all sorts of things that are always going on. Bible with Pastor Adam's happening. Our weekly sermon series um, on the issue of discernment is happening right now. Pastor Adam's teaching that, pulling double duty with Bible with Pastor Adam, and I guess triple duty because Culture Insanity coming and up sanity, this right. Saturday. Right. And then uh, we uh, also, speaking of all that, we have Nightlight Radio. That's the next thing that's coming up on the VRN. Nightlight Radio is doing the second episode of three for this um, for this particular session, and we're going to be dealing with the subject of loneliness from a biblical perspective. And um, if you have questions, you have thoughts, you have concerns, or you want us to go a specific direction in that conversation. That is a live show but we'll take uh, anything ahead of time too so we will be talking about loneliness and if you didn't get a chance please uh, take a look at Nightlight radio's uh, Facebook page or YouTube page where you can check out our discussion on self-harm We talked uh, last Thursday night about um, self-harm cutting burning yourself all sorts of um, yeah also t- all sorts of difficult things like that. Um, so if you or someone, you know, needs help in that way, please reach out to us. You can email questions or any concerns or anything like that to counseling at abfpdx.org. If you've enjoyed the truth time, uh, with Pastor Monty podcast, consider supporting us. These networks and shows and all that, it's free to you, but it's not free to us. So, um, it would be helpful. Even a dollar a month could be helpful. Um, yeah, and you can always partner and subscribe. If you're poor like us, you can partner and subscribe and help us out by liking us, uh, hit the notification bell to, uh, you know, get notified whenever anything is um, put out there, and just share the episode. You can always find us on all of the uh, YouTube pages and all that sort of stuff at ABFPDX. And uh, take a second to do that. And remember that content for this show is shared. On Tuesdays at 11 a.m., be sure to check back in Thursday night at 9:30. Um, <laughs> Sorry, on uh, Thursday night at 9:30, check out the new Heart Scribe uh, podcast where I am going to be going over the Book of James. It's already started, and we're going to be doing an expository verse by verse. Um, In the book of James, and we also do questions over there for uh Heart Scribe Quick Answers. And there's just a lot of stuff
0: going on, sound like
1: a lot of stuff going on. So, uh, yeah, we'll see you Thursday night, and then you'll see Pastor Monty again on Saturday. And we'll see you for the sermons and uh, Tuesdays at 11 here with Truth Time with Pastor Monty. We'll see you then. I'm Pastor Josh, uh, and this has been Pastor Monty. The views presented in this program are not meant to express the specific views of the Leithea Bible Fellowship. You are listening to the Vigilance Radio Network.